0: the Lord this morning. Amen. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we, uh, we come to you, Lord, and um, a needy people. And we ask you, Lord, for the grace to hear and receive your word, but also to receive the instruction given and the strength and wisdom to carry it out. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for our pastor. I thank you for the blessing he is to this house how he served, and how he has endured uh, these many years here faithfully, Lord. We ask a special blessing upon his home and upon his family, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you'll turn your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 27. Just hang out there as I kind of get us prepared for that, uh, for that reading and, and, and the instructions given to us in that. So that's going to be Acts 27. We all face storms in life to varying degrees. And before I say that, I hope everybody's got their, their milk and bread. Everybody's good? Good. We all face storms to varying degrees in our lives. Some storms we see coming. And sometimes we prepare for them, and sometimes we just ride them out. But all storms are temporary. But they have long-lasting effect, which are both bitter and sweet, depending on your perspective. See, why I say that is there's time. you know, we all, if, if I look around the room, and there's some of us that are in the midst of a, of a real hard storm, and some of us are enjoying tropical breezes, but some of us are in the midst of some turmoil, and, and the seas are raging, and the winds are blowing, and the clouds are dark, and there's no, there seems to be no bearing. You have no, you, you, you don't know which way is up, which way is down, and you're, you're, you're asking God, where are you? What's going on? God, help me. Uh, how come I can't see you? I, I'm not hearing from you. And, and we, get, we get into this. In the midst of the storm, uh, our emotions become heightened, and we, we become um, vulnerable to the storm. And in the midst of that, we're, we're questioning and we're asking God. See, that's the bitterness of the storm. But then when the storm is over, and you've survived, And you realize that God was with you in the storm. That God increased your faith. That God gave you strength and a dependency on him that you didn't have when the tropical winds were blowing. So there's a bitter and sweet end to a storm. The bitterness of the storm is when you're in the midst of the storm and it's raging and and everything is tossing to and fro. Um, You know, your finances can be, they were up, now they're down. Your health was good, now it's not. Your children were here, now they're not. You sent your child to school and he come back and he or she came back and they're a different person. And you're in the, you're in the midst of a storm and it's raging and you're, you're fighting the storm and you're wondering where God is or how could this have happened? That's the bitterness of the storm. But when the storm is over and God has done what he, what for the purpose that he sent the storm has been completed, that's the sweetness of the storm. So storms are both bitter and sweet, depending on your perspective. There are na- na- storms are a natural part of life. Hurricanes, tornadoes, blizzards, droughts, locusts, dust storms, sand storms, typhoons, they're all a natural part of life. And we have to endure them. Personal storms are also a part of life. In the life of the believer, these storms are ordained by God for a specific purpose. See when the storm comes upon your life and you wonder, "God, what, God what's going on? I am living right. I'm I am i I'm in the word. I'm I'm trusting you, I'm believing you. I, I, Lord, I'm you know I, I'm I'm financially I, I'm I'm faithful. I'm I'm tithing to the to the local body. I'm giving. I'm doing I'm doing what's right. Why the storm? storms are, are a natural part of life and times they are God-ordained. Some storms we go into because of our own stupidity. Amen? You know, we swipe the card too many times or uh, we're beholden to Amazon way too much. And then we're, oh, we, well, we look at our bank account I kind of put it on on, uh, on my my Facebook page this morning when I said, Alexa, check my bank account. See what Apple products I can buy. And Alexa responds and says, Apple juice. But understand, when when we we cause our own storms, but there are times when God causes a storm and there's a purpose for the storm and the purpose for the storm is kind of twofold. One, it's to refocus our attention on God. See, sometimes when things are going well and we're in that right relationship with God and we're doing the right things, we kind of get like, we kind of cruise. I got this, God. Yeah, Hang out. Go golf. I'm, 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 do you hear it? I'm all right. And it's when we become complacent, it's when we become lazy, when we get a little too relaxed, God says, comes a storm. And the storm is meant for us to refocus on God. The storm is meant to strengthen our faith, our obedience, and our willingness to do kingdom business, not our own business. Recent events that have transpired on the nation have put us all together facing the same storm. And that's a good thing. See, if I'm if there's one person out here and they're facing a, a fierce storm, and and then there's another person on this side of the aisle and they have the trade winds, we're both not on the same boat. You're on the minnow, and I'm on Norwegian Cruise Line. We're both on two different boats, but now we're all on the same boat because the storm that is. In our nation right now, it's caused us all to to ride in the same storm and in the same boat. COVID-19 has caused us all to ride in the same boat. This tumultuous election cycle that we just came out of has left us with heightened emotions. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm. We're all facing the same winds. We're all being battered by the same waves. We're all wondering where's up, where's down. What's right, what's wrong? What's truth, what's false? What can we trust? What can't we trust? We're all in the same storm, and that's a good thing. Got two questions to ask you. One is, What's the purpose of the storm? And the second question is, did God allow it? And the second question, the answer is yes. Because if God didn't allow it, we wouldn't be in the storm. Something happened in Wuhan, China. However this virus got out, whether it was accidental, intentional, who knows? But it's out and it's affected the whole world, okay? Now, if God did not want that to happen, it wouldn't have happened. God allowed it. you can going say, well, the devil did it. The devil can't go anywhere near anything. He has to ask God for permission to inflict a nation, to even inflict the world. God allowed it. This, tumultu- this tumultuous election cycle... God allowed it. He gave the will of the people. We have free will. God gave each and every one of us free will. And so here we are. Through our, through the tossing and turning and everything, and our emotions heightened, we're all in the storm and we're all in it together. Clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson asked this question. Do you want your children strong, or do you want your children safe? See, if you want your children safe, then you have to be their strength. You have to provide for them. You have to provide for them an atmosphere and an environment where nothing hurts them. Their emotions don't get hurt. Their bodies don't get hurt. You you've provided for. You basically wrap them in bubble wrap put pillows along their path to make sure they don't even fall and scrape their knee. You want to keep them safe. Now, if you want to keep your children strong, well, then you allow them to make mistakes. You allow them to fail. You allow them to be pushed around. I'm going to tell you a story. When I was young, I grew up in two foster homes. The first foster home I was in, I was in from age one to age six. Then I went to another foster home from six until until they passed away. They were a great family, loved them dearly. They were awesome. And um, in this in this home, my mom used to every I used to come home from school, and my mom would send me to the store. And I would be like, didn't don't we didn't we go shopping? Don't we have everything? But my mom would, she would say, I need you to go to the store, I need you to get bread, I need you to get milk, I need you to get this, I need you to get that, just these little things. And um, she used to always have to write it down because even if she told me to get one thing, by the time I got from our house to the corner, I forgot what it was I was supposed to get. So she used to have to write a note. So anyway, um, I was coming home from the store and all of a sudden these boys surround me and they start pushing me, boom, boom, back and forth, pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. And I never experienced anything like that before. This was all new to me. So my eyes were big and I'm under attack. You know, not a vision attack. They're not beating. They're just, they're being boys. And they're pushing me. And, and, and they're trying to see what my response is going to be. And I, I, my first response was fear. I never, this never happened to me before. My eyes get big and I'm holding onto the grocery bags and I'm trying to get home. Well, when I got within some sort of distance from my house, my mother opened the door and she said to me, put down the bag and fight. Now, some of your mother's eyes just got real big. You want your children safe. My mother said, put down the bag and fight. Now, I feel even more unsafe. My eyes are even bigger. That was not the instruction I was expecting. Then my mother says it again. Put down the bag and fight. The third instruction to my mother was, put down the bag and fight or don't come home. She gets in the door and she shuts the door. No, there you go. You want your children safe. My mother, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you what, my, what kind of mother my mother was. My mother was a sergeant in the army during World War II. She stormed the beaches of Normandy by herself, swimming with the gun in her teeth. She cleared the way for the rest of the, for, the, rest of the for, for Ike. When I got home, my mother says to me, don't ever let anybody push you around. I don't care if you win a fight or lose a fight. Stand your ground. Okay? What, were we, what, was, what was my mom teaching me? To be safe or to be strong? You know what God wants from his, from his church? Not to be safe, to be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It didn't say be safe in the Lord. Color your puppies, draw in your coloring books, and if somebody says something mean to you, we'll put that on the list of words not to say anymore. <laughs> you know, Congress now says that it's wrong to say father, mother, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, grandfather, grandmother. Those are offensive words. Okay, guess what they want? They want to build. Safe places. See, we send our children to college and our children now are taught that if that word offends you, well, then you need a safe space. Right? A safe nation is a weak nation. A safe church is a weak church. Well, we'll we'll, we'll just, we'll play it safe. We'll play it safe and we won't speak about the parts of the Bible that deal with sin because that might offend somebody. We want, we, want, we want our church to be a safe place where everybody can come and feel. Thank you for teaching us to be strong. Thank you. When I'm sitting there and you're preaching, I'm getting pounded on. And I'm like, wow, ouch, ooh, ooh. Guess what? He's teaching us to be strong. And he's showing us where we're weak. Amen. 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 So let's go on. So God wants a strong church. He doesn't want a safe church. And as we're in the storm, we have to learn what it is to find strength. Not in ourselves, but in the Lord. So what's the purpose of the storm? It's to show us that safety is not what we need, but strength. What should should our response be in the storm? Now, we're going through the storm. We're going through it with everybody. We're going through it with the left, right. We're going through it with this person, with that person. We're going through it with the saved, the unsaved. We're going through it. What should our response be? See, we can be like, we can say, well, oh, those people got it wrong. Prophets got it wrong. Oh, they were wrong. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe I, I, I held on to what? said, and they got it wrong. The devil would like nothing more than for us to attack each other and devour each other and weaken us. Here's what our response should be while we're in the storm. Psalm 23, 4 through 6. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the storm is not supposed to produce fear. It's supposed to produce faith. And where do you find faith? In the word of God. Because it's supposed to be contrary to what you're feeling. Because God doesn't care about your feelings. He cares about your faith because your faith is more precious than gold. So when you feel overwhelmed, when your emotions are in height, and when you feel like getting them, your spirit is wrong. You got the wrong spirit in the storm. Isaiah says this. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. God says no matter the storm you go through, if you go through it with the right attitude, if you go through it looking at the the storm maker instead of the storm, you're going to be able to withstand it and be able to stand on the promises of God that no matter what's going on, he's going to bring you through it. So there's a purpose to the storm, and it's to increase our faith. Give me a minute. I know. Is there a defibrillator in the house? Let me get a little water. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm passionate about this. (laughs) I almost spit up that water. (laughs) Pastor Rick said, clear. That was good. Okay, if you haven't been taking notes yet, take them now. I'm going to give you God's four instructions to his people during the storm. Four instructions. I'm going to read Acts 27, verses 1 through 44. Bear with me. It is a little lengthy but we're going to get through it together. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, that's a great place to sail, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to the centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking on an Adramidian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. From there, we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed in Myra, in Cilicia. There... The centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for many, for a good many days, and with difficulty, we, we arrived at Snidus. Since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Salomon. And with difficulty, sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens near which was the city of Lycia. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. And he said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage of great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what, what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest and spending the winter there. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close, close in shore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called the Uracuelo, And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along, running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, where we, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis. They, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo, and the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us from then on. All hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail for Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong, belong to, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. But when the fourteenth night came, and we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms, and a little farther they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But the ship but the ship ha- had let down... Let me try this again. Uh, But the ship had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship boat and let it fall away. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating having taken nothing, therefore I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair on the head of any of you will, be, will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it, and he began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the weed into the sea. When when day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. After casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach, <clears throat> but striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground. and the Prow struck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intentions and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow on some planks and others and on various other things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought to safely. They were all brought safely. To land. Now we see here that Paul is in a a storm, a prolonged storm for two weeks. How many of you can say we're in a prolonged storm? We had no idea when 2020 hit that we would be in this storm this long or that it would grow in intensity. But it has. And it will continue to grow in intensity. So let's see what are the four instructions that God wants to give to his people during this storm. Instruction number one, don't abandon those who refuse to hear your voice. There were some of us who had had said to other people, this is not the right way to go. Or some of us had said, this is this is the wrong path. This is the wrong way. We're not. We're, this this direction that we're heading in is going to cause us to lose cargo and loss of life. But we were labeled, and we were minimized, and we were told to be quiet, and we were told we didn't know what we were talking about and we were called all sorts of names. But God's instruction to us who are taking on the onslaught of names, don't look for a safe space. God's instruction is don't abandon those who wouldn't listen to your voice. If we can all be real, before our salvation, when people would come up to us and talk to us about God, we weren't very favorable to the voice of God ourselves. Wasn't like, you know, somebody came to us the first time and told us about salvation, we're like, yeah. Like, we looked at them as though they were religious nuts, flakes, fruitcakes, all the things we we can slander them with and name them radicals, right? Religious nuts, fruits, flakes, you know. All of the things that they, okay. But somewhere along the line, God sent someone and we actually heard because we got to a place, we were desperate enough for something real and we, we were able to hear the voice of God telling us about salvation and we accepted it. Now, if God didn't abandon us when we wouldn't listen to him, God doesn't expect us to abandon those who will not listen to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. We can't, we can't be putting names on other people just because they put names on us. We have to be of a different spirit. We have to weather the storm and we have to be able to have compassion. We have to be able to show strength. We have to be able to show le- leadership. We have to be able to weather the storm in strength and not attack those that are attacking us. And so, do not abandon those who refuse to hear your voice. That's, that's from verses 10 through 13. So if you're taking notes, and please, that's, you can go back and see that. Our example is Joseph, who did not abandon his brothers, though they had wronged him severely. Genesis 15, Genesis 50 verse 19 through 20. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and for your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. See, Joseph's brothers had you know the story. They tore off his favorite robe. They beat him. They threw him into a cistern. cistern. They, they sold him into slavery. He's in slavery. He's falsely accused of a rape. He, he preserves himself before God. This is important. He preserved himself before God. He, he would rather run out of house naked than have violated himself and violated the principles of God that he was taught. And yet he suffered again. And he was put in prison. Matter of fact, he was put in a dungeon. Now, Joseph could have taken an attitude towards God. I did the right thing. I preserved myself. I kept myself from impurity. I kept my I kept the teachings of my father. And this is how you treat me. But that wasn't Joseph's attitude. Because he suffered for the sake of God and the preservation of the name of God, God honored him. God had gifted him greatly with administrative gifts. Not only did he gift him with administrative gifts, he gave gave him a physical body that was strong. He also gave him an appearance that was, the Bible even says that he was handsome. So he had all of these giftings that God gave to him and God began exalted him. He put put him in a slave place. He became the ruler in, in the house. He put him in the prison. He served, and he became the ruler in the prison. Now when God needed him the most to preserve life, he exalted him in the nation. He became second to Pharaoh, and he saved lives. All because he devoted himself to God. He wouldn't listen to the slander of others. He allowed God's the giftings of God to be operating in 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 his life, even in the midst of the storm, so that when God needed to exalt him, he can use him in his giftings because he kept himself right. Unheeded warnings have immeasurable value the second time around. See, Paul says, hey, I perceive. Paul knew. I perceive that we're gonna suffer loss, cargo, ship, and lives. But his warnings went unheeded, and they end up in a storm, they end up losing cargo, and they end up losing the ship. But here's the thing, and we can see Paul says to them, Now, if it were me, I would have said, Well, if you'd listen to me in the first place, man, look forward. If you listened to me in the first place, this wouldn't have happened. Ladies, same thing. If we listen to me in the first place, this wouldn't have happened. We do this to one another. Because we want to be right. And it's not about being right. It's not about your rights. It's about God's rights. And here's the thing. When an unheeded warning is rejected the first time, it has value the second time in the midst of the storm. And so what we have to understand is we we may have been, we may have been, uh, our voice was unheeded one time, but when the time comes around and God produces the time for us to speak again, it's going to produce power. It's going to produce fruit. It's going to produce a changing of course because God will be in it at the proper time. Amen? Amen. Instruction number two. As the storm intensifies and others suffer loss, we must suffer with them. Verses 14 through 20. See, the when we're in the storm and we're all going and we're all suffering together, there's, there's, there's a relationship that can be built there. See, if you're a parent and you lost a child and you had to bury a child, and you endured that, that storm, when someone else loses a child, you can minister to them in a power that no one else can. You can comfort beyond anyone else's ability to comfort, greater because you suffered. If you've had cancer, and, and God, God allowed you to overcome cancer, you have a greater comp- compassion for those who are sick and suffering than those who have never suffered it before. If you have lost all and had to start and rebuild over again, you have a greater understanding and a greater compassion, a greater humility than for someone who hasn't suffered a loss. And you're able to encourage, minister, give instruction, give wisdom, Talk about pain. See, so when we're all suffering together, and I'm not just talking about the church suffering together, I'm talking about as a nation, we're suffering together. See, and as we suffer together, it's in that place of suffering, as we suffer together, that we can make inroads and be able to communicate to other people on the same level. And so... In instruction number two that God gives us, when He says, "As a storm intensifies and others suffer loss, we must suffer loss too." Listen, there's a sign-up sheet in in the foyer, and it says, "Suffering." I need your name, I need your email address, and I need your phone number. Now, those of you that run out and begin to sign that, um, they have meds. None of us want to suffer. It's painful. It breaks us. It leaves us utterly weak. It even sometimes angers us. But God is asking us to suffer with others. The bad choices of others bring suffering, but we must suffer with them. It's the prescription for hope when all hope is lost. See, you're going you're to have a commodity soon. And that commodity is called hope. I'm going to give you your example. Your example is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet in, Jew, in Jerusalem. And, Je- and Jeremiah was a prophet during the time, and he was warning the people in Jerusalem, you need to repent, you need to return back to God, or God is going to send the Babylonians, and they're going to siege this place, and they're going to take the temple. That was blasphemy. He would tell them how bad they were going to suffer, that they were going to eat their own. He warned them, and they mocked him. They beat him. They put him in stocks. He even told people, get out. When when the Babylonians had laid siege to the place, he said, go over to the Babylonians, and you'll live. That was treason. And he suffered because God gave him these words and he gave the warning to the people and they didn't listen. And then God gives him a word in the midst of all of this. And this is what God gives to him. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The value of that word, that that, matter of fact, that word is so valuable, it ministers to us today. When we're in the midst of a storm, when we've suffered loss, when we don't understand the storm, when we're going through through things and we wonder, and all of a sudden God enlightens this word to us and he says, the storm's not over, you're only going through it, You you haven't reached the other side. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You have to understand how valuable your hope will be. Remember, the sailors were in the storm, this prolonged storm for so long, they lost hope. And the only one who had hope was Paul. And he gave them the hope that he had, and it encouraged them. Hope is a valuable commodity. Hold on to it, protect it, because you're going to need it, not for yourself, For others. Because others are going to need the hope that you have. How are you remaining so calm in this storm? How are you at peace when you've suffered loss? Why are you not screaming at those that are screaming at you? Because I have hope. I have hope that God will change and touch the lives of other people. I have hope that God will bring people to salvation. I have hope that God will use this for his purposes to to extend mercy and grace and love and demonstrate the power of God and his compassion and the reality of who he is. I have hope. Amen? Amen. Suffering produces qualities in a believer that others will lack. Three qualities. Humility. Humility. Suffering brings humility. Suffering shows me that I am weak. Suffering shows me that I don't have um, all the answers, nor do I have the ability to keep it together. Suffering produces humility. Suffering produces dependency on God. And suffering produces hope. Instruction number three. Your relationship to God will be vital to you and to others. I want to say that again. Your relationship to God will be vital to you and to others. See, remember, and that's, that's going to be verses um, 21 through 26. So now here's the thing. If Paul would have abandoned his relationship to God in the midst of the psalm, now understand, Paul's following. He's willing to die for, for, the, for, the, for the word. He's willing to die for Jesus. He's willing to go to Rome and stand before Caesar and die. And can you imagine if Paul would have said, you know, God, I'm ready to die for you, and this is the way you treat me? It wasn't Paul's attitude. Paul suffered with those who were suffering. Paul beseeched God on behalf of those who were suffering. Paul would remain devoted to God. And because Paul remained devoted to God, God took him from being a sufferer to a deliverer. That's a powerful promotion. And what happened? He said, God sent an angel to him, and an angel encouraged him. And because an angel encouraged him, he turned around and gave the word of the Lord to the people that were in the boat and suffering. He said, you're not going to suffer loss of life. We will lose the boat, but we won't lose our lives. That was encouraging. And because Paul's relationship was vital, here's the thing. Your devotional life is important. Your reading of the word daily is important. Your worship of the Lord is important. Your practicing faith before God is important. Your believing God for things that you need in your life is important. It's important for you, but it's more important for others that you do not know. Now, when when your attitude is to get before him and you say, I have to do my devotions, I want you to understand that you're doing your devotions not for yourself, but for a nation. You're doing your devotions for others. You're doing your devotion. You're feeding your spirit so that when the time comes, God can take you from being a sufferer to a deliverer that you're going to be able to give the word of hope to somebody else who does not have hope. Your devotion to God is important. You may say, well, you know, God didn't answer our prayers. First of all, that's the thing that was wrong. We tried to bend the will of God to our will instead of us going along with his will. See, Jesus prayed in the garden and said, if it's possible that this cup pass from me, let it be so. But not my will, your will be done. And this is the thing we have to see. We have to pray. We have to know what the will of the Lord is and execute that. So our relationship to God is vital. If we focus on the storm, we will be overtaken. But if we focus on God, we will not be shaken. Okay? Understand that. You can look at all that's going on, the riots, the, the um, corruption, all the things that you want. Or you can look at the storm, the COVID, the devastation. And you can be overtaken by the storm. But you can focus on God in the midst of the storm and God will make you rock solid. You won't be shaken. And while others are shaken and you're standing your ground, you're going to be attractive to other people. See, God wants an attractive church. He doesn't want a fearful church. He doesn't want a church that's bowed, it's bowed its knee to the, to the, to the whims of the world, to the whims of the age. Uh, uh, he doesn't want a church that's... that's uh, Put out a social gospel, a weak gospel that wants everybody to come in and feel safe. Come on in. Uh, we're going we're gonna to p- preach the gospel, but we're not going to deal with sin. He's not looking for a church that hangs out a rainbow flag on its outside and has given up. He's looking for a church that's going to stand in the midst of the storm and hold on to the principles of God. If we can't talk about sin... And we have no business meeting in the church. If we can't talk about sin, then we can't talk about salvation, the hope that brings about the destruction of sin. And so, your relationship to God will be vital. Our example is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded. Oh, that word mm, shakes me. There were millions of Jews living in Babylon during the time of Nebuchadnezzar. He erected this monument that was 90 feet tall, big. And the, the law in the land was that you had to bow down, you had to worship when you heard the music. You had to bow down. Three people would not bow the knee. Three. And judgment was placed upon them, and they were thrown into the furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astounded and he stood up in haste, and he said to his officials, Was it not three men we cast in and bound into the midst of the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the furnace of blazing fire, and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around them and saw in regard that these men, that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, yielded up their bodies, so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house is reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Your devotion to God matters to you, but it matters to others. See, God doesn't need a multitude, but he does need people to stand for God. And those that'll stand for God will see the power of God. Those that stand for God, God will be able to display his majesty through them, his power through them, his righteousness through them, his justice through them. If no one stands, there's no representation of God. We are it. And we need to take a stand for God and with God according to the word of God and the principles of God. Amen. Instruction number four. We're coming in for a landing. Be prepared to meet the physical needs of others. Verses 33 through 36. People don't care about what you know about Jesus, but when you show Jesus through your actions. How many times have you told people about Jesus and they're like, yeah, whatever. Okay, sure. Jesus loves you. Yeah. God loves you. Yeah. Jesus died for your sins. Yeah. Jesus can meet your needs. Jesus can heal you. Yeah. That's easy for you to believe. Okay, that's for you. You understand? Okay. But when you meet someone at their point of need, then you're showing Jesus who Jesus truly is. I'll say this before and I'm going to say it again. The storm is going to rage. How many people can can look and perceive that there's going to be a lot of loss of jobs? Right? You know, it, it, it looks like that's the way it's heading. Okay. It's going to head that way. People are going to suffer. We need to suffer with them. But also, we need to be able to meet the needs of others so that we can share Jesus Christ. You can't say to somebody, eat, drink, be well-fed and merry when they can't eat, drink, and they aren't merry. But when you can meet the needs of others, and this I say this and I say it again, we need to, when we're shopping for food, we need to think of others and set aside uh, some part of the budget or you know, bring the budget to the storehouse and we need to build up our food pantry. Because if we're going to be the church of God, if we're going to be the church of God and of Jesus Christ in the world, we need to be able to meet the physical needs of others. Amen? Because when you meet the the physical needs of others, guess what? You can meet their spiritual needs as well. And so we have to see this. What's our example? Jesus Christ. The feeding of the 4,000. Departed from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. And having gone up on the the mountain, he was sitting there, and large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And he he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and he gave thanks. He broke them and he started giving them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people and they all ate and were satisfied and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven basketful. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. What's the principle here? The principle here is when we can meet the physical needs of others. We have and we've suffered with them and we identify with them. We can minister to them. In their loss. We could take them from a place where they feel humility. And we can encourage them. Chin up. Stand strong. God loves you. God's with you. And and the thing is, is, they'll be open. It's in that place. That we have to understand that we need to be able. We need to be prepared to meet the physical needs of others. We must allow God to elevate us from sufferers in the storm to deliverers in the storm. We need to be the people that are strong and that are, that are able to operate in a storm in a place of offering need to people in a time of need. Lastly, I wanna give you the basic instructions for this storm. And it's found in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. You know, we all know a flight attendant's instruction. Those are the exit, the belt, the mask, and then the flotation device. Listen, if I've been sitting on a flotation device for three hours and a plane crashes, I doubt that thing is going to be able to float. But all the more, these are the instructions given to us, and how many times do we just poo-poo them? Except, you want know, to know when you want to know when those instructions are vital? When the plane is hitting turbulence and the and the air mass comes down, all of a sudden the instructions really vital. Or when, there's, when the plane is rocking, or maybe it's spinning out of control. Next thing you know, the flight attendant's instructions are very important. Matter of fact, they're vital. And God has some vital instructions for the church in this storm. And here it is: Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Let me tell you something. The fate of the nation does not rest in Washington, D.C. It rests with us. The nation can go two ways. And when I say two ways, I'm not talking political. It can either go the way of evil or can turn and return to God. But the responsibility for that to happen is on us. Men, when I say, hey, there's prayer on Saturday morning. There's prayer on Saturday morning, and it's for a purpose. It's not so that we can get together and, well, hey, you know, we had 15, we had 20, we had 30. No. We need to get together. We need to beseech God on behalf of a nation, on behalf of a people. We need to, we need to ask God to help us to, to repent. Repentance sounds nice, but it's really hard to do because it takes humility. And we need to, we need to be able to operate and understand and get, get instructions from God on what we're supposed to do as men and as people. So the responsibility of the future of this nation rests in our hand. God promises to heal the land, but there is a prerequisite. We must adhere to the prerequisite to his instructions before he will do our part. He says, if you do your part, I'll do my part. We can partner with God. We can partner with God. And God will heal the land. He promises. But we have to partner with him and do our part. We have to pray. We have to seek his face. We have to turn from our wicked ways. And then we'll hear from heaven and it will heal our land. God bless you.